All right, here we go to Thursday. Cofield and Company. John Von Tobel is here. Come on as well. Lot to get to. Busy football day because we now have with college football, like last week we got a little taste of it, John. Mm-hmm. Um, starting today, it runs through Monday. We have five days of college football <laughs> and pretty good games every single day. Uh, even Sunday has like two or three games. Probably the best game of the weekend is LSU. And Florida State, so it's here. We're fired up. We're ready to go. We got the uh, the primer last night locally. The Barry Odom radio show debuted over at Parkway Tavern at 215 and Flamingo. And if I'm going to gauge the excitement level for UNLV football by the crowd, there's some people who are pretty fired up about this. There's a new energy around UNLV football and over at Parkway Tavern at 215 and Flamingo. That was pretty cool. That is so. When I first started doing like local media stuff, because I'm national now, um, one yeah. of the things that really I, I really enjoyed was engaging with listeners, the audience, in doing events kind of like that. You know, I keep mentioning to you when we used to do the UNLV basketball post game show at some spots around town once the game was over, and people would come on and ask questions. Those were absolutely fantastic. Going back to the years where we did our fantasy football leagues. With a lot of listeners, it's cool to just gauge what the city is into and what they're excited about and what they're willing to do. And yesterday was kind of one of those. Like when I was driving in and listening to what the atmosphere was like with you guys in terms of a lot of people there, and then finally getting there and seeing how many people were there to the point where I had to go throw a couple of back at the at the bar by myself because there was no room for me. It was absolutely incredible. It was a great, great environment. Well, I will tell you, um, being connected with locals is really cool and a lot of you guys over at VSIN miss out on that. Because we're national. Um, yes. But I was national in different places for 14 years. So I know both sides of this. And seeing fan reaction is really why we do this. Obviously, we do it also to make money here and satisfy our clients. Another thing that uh, national people don't really have an idea of. And I'm not here to lecture everyone on different levels of radio. But uh, that was cool last night. That was really cool. And I think Barry Odom put in a lot of hard work getting out there, talking to a lot of people in the community. I think, and I don't know if it's going to show up at Bryant. And they're going to have to win to get crowds, you know, 25,000, 30,000, 35,000 plus. They have to win. Mm -hmm. Iowa State came in. They brought, you know, probably 15,000 of their own fans a few years ago, and they got a big crowd. But this is a building process. They haven't won at a high enough level at UNLV football to get people titillated to come out. They also... You know, one of Marcus Arroyo's weaknesses, and you know, I was telling you last night, conversation off the air, I, I like the guy. I worked well with him, uh, but I did recognize one of the things that he didn't do a great job at was connecting with locals and connecting with high schools, and that's why you've seen more commits from high schools. But the other thing is that is kind of a grassroots deal. When your local college football program gets out and gets with high school coaches, high school players, football below that level, those kids want to go to games. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be part of kind of building this whole thing. And I think it's been missing for a long time. So, you know, slowly they're chugging forward. Assignment number one is don't get surprised by Bryant. Uh, By the way, tomorrow we're going to talk to the Bryant head coach. who has got a pretty good background and he's got a a nice team that can score. A guy named Chris Merritt. So it's off and running. And, you know, this is the story around college football. Anyone can win in college football if you have decent resources. But you have to be in a line from the top down. Like, you can have a great coach and great assistant coaches and good admin people, 
man, if the person above you, the AD, is a horse's ass, if the president is an idiot, if the academic side wants to, you know, shiv you all the time because there's always battles at schools over that. Everyone's got to be in a line or you can't win a football. And we've seen some programs, you know, Kansas State sucked forever. Bill Snyder came in, got the good feelings rolling. Everyone gets in a line. They're a winning program even after, you know, his stint, Mm -hmm. right? Northwestern. Now, right now they're in the doldrums. Very tough job. Maybe not as hard as it used to be because they can let kids in, but still academic standards, uh, facilities are getting better. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald, whatever he did, a little too toxic, brother, but they sucked forever. And then, you know, with some previous coaches, they got things rolling and they won. So you can win. Trust me, you can win anywhere, but there is a formula and the formula here has been busted. But that crowd last night is a good sign. If you are doing a radio show and you're speaking to a cavern, you know, in person, mm-hmm. that ain't good. And that was not the case last night. No. And, and it's also cool outside of, like, fans who are interested in the program, some of which I got to talk to. I know you saw you talked to Caleb did as well, um, was seeing part of UNLV out there as well. Kevin Kruger was out there, right, supporting a fellow coach and, and showing up. And that's a really good thing. To, I, I was actually just texting with a buddy about this over at Vison, which is, you know, you should share a common goal. Right, yeah. if you work for the same company, i.e., they do. Right, they both work at UNLV. You should share a common goal and work, work together. Yep. Right, Team yeah. Work. It, it shouldn't be contentious. You shouldn't operate on islands. And so to see something like that was kind of cool too. And the fact that you know Kevin Kruger recognized who I was, and gave yeah. me a handshake, and then apologized for how rude he was to me at that halftime game. He did not apologize to you. <laughs> oh no, he didn't. And I'm not even sure that he was rude to you. I wish I had seen that. I think you might have been a little ill-tempered that day. Me? I'm never ill-tempered. I mean, there is a there is a sitch when you're talking to coaches in the middle of a game. You, your skin does have to be kind of thick because a lot of times they're like, "Hey, you even say it about about this show, right?" What I've tried to work on it, but there, you say, "Hey, there's times you walk in here and Cofield looks like he wants to rip your head off before the show. You don't know what's coming." Well, it's not even. I tried to I tried to work on it, but generally I'm like before the show I am thinking really hard about what's going on, and it's kind of we're always going a billion miles an hour right down the stretch. But you're right; it can be off putting. That's right. The energy's just gone. You walk in, it's like, ooh, what's happening? And it's like, hey! There you go, right? Then the mic goes on, well, yes, it, was, it was good to see the teamwork. That's what you got to do. You got to yes, build. Yes. Um, we have SEC football coming back tonight. Thank you, Lord, for giving this to us. <laughs> God has graced us with the Southeastern Conference. At least the people who root for SEC teams believe that. And it's a good conference, and it's produced a lot of NFL players, and it's produced a lot of national championships. Mm-hmm. I do think the SEC is allowed to get away with some things that other conferences are not. Uh, you mean the annual buy right before rivalry week? Yes, that no one shreds them about, and it is absurd. The, there's no better rivalry, I say, huh. than Mercer and Alabama football the week before the Iron Bowl. Yep. <laughs> Love it. Well, and it's surrounded the rest of the year and in season by puffing out their chest and going, Our schedules! You do the same thing that other schools do at the beginning of the year by playing Little Sisters of the Poor. You actually do it at a more pivotal time. You get a break. You get to get healthy. Uh, you get to get an easy win with three weeks left in the season. So stop pointing fingers. Also, I mean, you know which one of the easiest schedules in the country is, and that includes the conference schedule? Georgia. They're, they're going to walk into the college football playoff because their schedule is so freaking easy. Yep. And that includes SEC play. And no one will ever call him on it. You right. just did, but hardly anyone will call him on it because, well, it's the SEC, and 
they won the national title. Damon, I'm not trying to out you on your age. I'm not, as you know, I, I mentioned we can age shame me for being old. Um, you were born in what year again? 96. 96. I think I said 95 on the rundown. Florida is playing at Utah. Mm. John, how rare is this for Florida to be out of the state of Florida playing an FBS Division One school? First time since mm, September 21st, 1991? 91! Four years before... Whatever, three and a quarter years before, DeMond was even a dream. I wasn't even a year old yet. Is that right? Yeah. So, 91. That's awesome. Boy, time is long. 91. I was, uh, at that time, 1991, I was like six months into being legal to drink. Wow. Exactly. Don't chuckle. Don't chuckle. I know, right? A long time. That's the last time Florida's been on the road, non-con, against a Division I opponent outside of the state. Of Florida, the Sunshine State, eleven thousand six hundred and sixty-seven days. That's crazy. Yep, it's but crazy. it's that's why it was such a so refreshing to watch Alabama go to Texas last year. And by the way, they almost lost that game. But it's actually good to see teams being forced to do that every once in a while. Like, oh, step out of your comfort zone, test yourself a bit. Well, and you can do it now. And by the way, you could always do that as an SEC school because you mm-hmm. get such a benefit from being in the SEC. You're going to get extra points. Alabama has never really lost one of those spots, and most of those spots are neutral spots, but they usually play a tough game early on. And with the playoff coming, SEC teams, all Power 5 schools, should be challenging themselves with at least one good game out of conference, even when they go to 10, and God forbid, 11 games in conference. But yeah, we got uh, Florida and Utah tonight, and uh, the big question is Cam Rising, the Utah quarterback. The big question is the second quarterback for Utah. The big question at Florida is all the quarterbacks. Very interesting game, and it has been the line around college football we have followed for months and months and months. So where are we now? And you know Utah is not going to officially rule out Cam Rising, probably until kickoff. So we Have, have they done it? No, so they haven't. There's been reports. Uh, Pete Thamel has mentioned that uh, he believes, or he's reported, um, that he is doubtful and unlikely to play. Again, you haven't seen anything official. Uh, now, here's the thing. On Friday, last Friday, of course, they released their depth chart. Cameron Rising was on it. But as we all know, yes, of course he's the listed starter. It's whether or not he's going to be healthy this time around. So we'll see if there makes any if there's going to be any difference in that regard. But we've seen the number freak out. We are down to, I think, four and a half now, um, all the way across the board. So we'll see if that gets any further once he's officially announced out. But it looks like Rising's not going to play. And I was really looking forward to that good Graham Mertz. Cam rising matchup at quarterback. Not going to happen now. No. We'll see if Graham Mertz stays in for the entire game. Florida situation is kind of ugly. So we got a lot of college football on the way. Five o'clock hour, college football insider on the national level. Our buddy Michael Felder will join us. But up next, let's do another one of those Raiders opponent previews for the 2023 season. We'll cover the Broncos. All right, back here on Cofield and Company. Let's continue to preview the uh, Raiders season. Got a double dip, right? As always, AFC West rivals, Denver Broncos. Let's get into the Broncos. Been a busy offseason. Sadly, in some ways, a uh, busy fall camp. A lot of injuries. Troy Rank covers and has covered the Broncos in the Denver market for a long time. He joined Steve and John here in Vegas. How are you, sir? Doing great, guys. How are you? We are good. We are good. So tell me about fall camp, and I know there was a lot of optimism coming in, but you know, one of the things that is a bit damaging is the injuries to the wide receiver core. Yeah, losing Tim Patrick for the season was brutal. I mean, it's back-to-back years. He's going to sit out. Last year was an ACL. This year, an Achilles. 
on a non-contact drill. And I think his role is probably a little overstated by some in the past game, but he was such a good run blocker. He's the heart of that receiving room. So they'll miss, miss him there. Jerry Judy's dealing with a hamstring injury. I'll be surprised if he plays week one. More likely he'll be available week two or week three. So right now they only have three healthy receivers on their roster. They've got a couple guys, veterans, on the practice squad to bridge the gap. But they're going to run the football. I mean, listen, they're going to run the football more than I run my air conditioning right now. And they are going to run and run and run. And that is going to be the key if this offense is going to work and revive Russell Wilson is they're going to have to be really good on the ground. So you talk about reviving Russell Wilson. What has that been like? What have you observed? What have you seen from him that makes you think maybe that this uh, resurrection is going to go in the right direction? You know, he's a total buy-in. He wanted to play for Sean Payton. He needed guardrails again. Last year, he was basically given carte blanche to do whatever he wanted, and which I, I got initially. I did understand it, but when it was failing and they were hurt and had backup tackles and receivers, why they didn't scrap their three-wide shotgun attack I mean, that's a, an indictment of, of Coach Hackett and management at that point. But what I've seen are shades of Russell, not Russell Wilson, Seattle, but shades of that where he's more decisive, and when it's not there, he's running. Uh, and they've told him to run, even in camp, and usually you don't even ask. But last year, he never ran once in camp, and that's why it was deceiving. Like, well, he's going to be okay because one of the things he does is play well off script, but he's just not doing it in camp, and then he never did it in the games. I mean, he was trying to reinvent himself as Drew Brees and Tom Brady, and he's not. He's not a pocket, true pocket passer. But if they run the ball, they're going to get him outside on bootlegs. They're going to do RPO. He's got a chance to be, I would hope, in the top 15 of his position. The days of him being top 10, although I can't say that after last year, but he's buying into Sean Payton. He understands their identity as a running football team. So he has a chance, and he lost 15 pounds. He looks great. So there's reasons for hope, but we got to see it after last year. You mentioned Paul Hackett for a second. I just want to go back, and I'm sure you guys are tired of talking about him, but um, it is interesting watching him on Hard Knocks, and he's a real goofball. And as I'm watching, I'm like, I don't know if this guy could ever be a head coach. I like him as a coordinator, as an assistant. Um, was that a vibe you got that he maybe he just wasn't serious enough and and you know wasn't organized enough clearly, and that the team never took him seriously? Yeah, I mean, he's such a great personality. He's caffeinated. He was everything Vic Fangio wasn't. So he's like, you swerved the other direction. He's really bright. He's great on the whiteboard. But when it came to being an authoritative figure and being the, the line in the sand, he couldn't do it. And I asked him that at the Combine. I asked him that multiple times. Are you going to be comfortable having uncomfortable conversations with guys? He said yes, but he wasn't. He could not hold people accountable. There were no consequences. And he was, you know, his own staff, on especially the offensive side, was just completely mismatched and over their skis. So he knows football. If two things can be true, he can be a really good person and just not be a head football coach. And he just was not ready. It was like he was wearing his dad's suit to work. He just wasn't ready to be a head coach. And honestly, he doesn't have a great history as a play caller, other than like one year in Buffalo. You know, I mean, it's not like everyone talks about he and Aaron Rodgers. He didn't call plays in Green Bay. And that was part of the issue when he got to Denver. He was trying to call the plays and be the head coach and be the authoritative figure, and he just wasn't ready for all that. If he would have brought in an, you know, an older coach, let's say a Gary Kubiak or semi-retired coach, to be his offensive assistant, to be that guardrail, I think it, I mean, they would have been way better. I don't know if they'd have been a playoff team. He just didn't have that on the offensive side, and it, it went out of, off the rails by week two 
it was off the rails, and frankly, it never got better. So what is the vibe with the fans going into the season? Because I could see them being really excited about Sean Payton, but they grew to sort of dislike uh, the quarterback, uh, Russell Wilson. So where are they right now? Are they like fresh start, you know, onward and upward, 10 wins and beyond? Yeah, I mean, it's just cautious optimism. I mean, the last six years have been brutal. I mean, they've had six straight losing seasons for the first time since 1963 to 72. So that predates the NFL. They haven't been in the playoffs since Super Bowl 50. They've gone through just a gaggle of retread veteran quarterbacks from Joe Flacco to Case Keenum uh, down to to Teddy Bridgewater and a brief uh, romance with Drew Locke. It's just, it's been 12 starting quarterbacks since Peyton Manning. One has, you know, there's two guys with a winning record, Trevor Simeon and Brett Rippon, who started three games. And so that's where the hard part is. Broncos fans want to embrace this team, but until they see a functional offense, it's hard to. Because it's one thing to be bad. They've been bad and boring. They averaged 16 points a game last year. It was literally their game should have been filmed in black and white with leather helmets. It was so embarrassing to watch. And but Peyton, his history is a guy, has a team, and he's going to score 25, 27, 28 points. That's what he does, and he did it for 15 years. And if you want to tell me it's because he had Drew Brees as a Hall of Famer, I would go back and say, hmm, was he a Hall of Famer when he inherited him? Nobody wanted him. He failed his physical in Miami. He made Drew Brees a Hall of Famer. He's won games with Bridgewater, won games with James Winston, won games with Taysom Hill. So that's where the optimism lies, is this guy is a play-calling genius. He's got a track record of winning. He's an authoritative, uh, detail-oriented coach who's, you know, abrasive personality that is, reminds fans of Mike Shanahan. So there's good vibes that way. It's just been a long six years. So no one is completely buying in after last year. You just feel like, I can't. I can't do it. That's where I get from fans when I talk to them. So this offense can't be revitalized if the offensive line is going to be an issue. What's the look on the offensive line, and are some of the issues we saw in terms of pressure in the preseason going to be something that carry over into the regular season? Yeah, I mean, that's been the concern. I didn't imagine walking out of camp thinking, like, one of the biggest concerns was the O-line pass protection. But the first game against Arizona, Arizona was just like red-dogging it and blitzing, and they weren't ready for it, and it was ugly. And the second game, it got a little better. Mike McGlinchey then missed the, the, you know, the rest of the preseason. So not having him in there in terms of chemistry and continuity didn't help. He came back for the scrimmages against the Rams last week. But it's a concern until it's not. You know, McGlinchey's a great run blocker. He's had issues at times in pass protection. Ben Powers is an absolute road grader in the run game. He's had issues in pass protection, and especially in camp. And Garrett Bowles is coming off a major injury, broken ankle slash leg. So that's where it starts. I asked McGlinchey yesterday, are you guys comfortable with the expectations of kind of setting the tone for this team? And he said, that's where it's got to come from. The mindset and the attitude, it's got to come from the offensive line. The running has to be part of their DNA. And if they running is part of the DNA and they do it well, the pass pro will get easier. If they're in a lot of third and sevens and third and eights, whew, it's, I don't know that Russell Wilson is going to play 17 games. Try rank as we do our Denver Broncos preview. It is the opener, and then it is the end of the season for the Raiders. Uh, before we continue on some of the Broncos by the betting numbers, uh, give me your opinion on the Raiders. What are you seeing with the Raiders? Are they a team that uh, is going to stay about the same, move up, or are they actually? A lot of people here think that at some point they may just pull the plug and say the hell with it. It's Caleb Williams time. Yeah, I mean, people in Denver hate Josh McDaniels more than even Hackett, <laughs> which is saying something because they just feel like. 
you know, he was the Gucci knockoff version of Bill Belichick. He came here and ruined the franchise for a year and a half. And the first guy to ever go 6-0 and and not make the playoffs. And so there's a lot of hatred for him from Broncos country still. He's obviously a great OC. He just hasn't ever proven it as a head coach. But my opinion of the Raiders is weird because I don't think they're very good. But they play really well against the Broncos. They've beaten them six straight times. And part of that is Max Crosby and Josh Jacobs would go to Canton on first ballot if they played the Broncos every Sunday. They kill those two guys, kill the Broncos, specifically Jacobs. I think he's got nine touchdowns in six games. He averages like 130 yards in the ground. He just takes their will away in the second half. Now, I don't know if he can do that this time because he wasn't in camp, but Josh Jacobs has been like a combination of Walter Payton and Earl Campbell against the Broncos, and they couldn't stop him. So while I don't, I'm not bullish on the Raiders at all, I mean, I think they're probably a you know, five to seven win team. They've owned the Broncos. They've won six straight. I think it's eight of nine. So Broncos got to prove it. There's no easy win for the Broncos until they prove it because they have been, I think, six and 18 in the AFC West, their last 24. So for all the people making fun of the Raiders, yep. the Broncos have just not been good. So I'm not bullish on them. I love Devontae Adams. He's the best receiver I saw last year in person. It frankly wasn't close. And his matchup with Sertan is going to be fabulous. They just go at it. But for me, that entire game comes down to can they temper the out, the output of Josh Jacobs? And if they can, they can win. If they can't, like the last few years, they'll lose. He is the host of Broncos Podcast with Troy Rank. He is the Broncos insider for Denver 7, Broncos insider for our good friends at the fan in Denver. Betting numbers on the Broncos, over under 8.5 wins. Uh, there's really no price on it. What do you think, over under? I mean, I have them at 9 and 8. Uh, they're right around that. That's a great number. I mean, there's a reason those guys are wise guys. Because yeah. for me, they're, it's right between 8 and 10, and it's really going to come down to a couple of things. Can they regain home field, if not dominance, like home field advantage, where they go 6-3 and three this year at home, and they're going to have to beat the Raiders. They're going to they're gonna have to sweep the Raiders, split with the Chargers. They never beat the Chiefs. They've lost them 15 straight times. I don't see that changing. But if you go 3-3 three and three in the AFC West, and then you beat the Jets at home, you beat the Browns at home, teams on the bubble. You got a chance to be nine, ten wins. But they just, I've got to see it. I mean, I just don't know what the, the offense is going to be better. We know that, but how much? How much better? And so I have them at nine, so I'm, I'd be on the over, but it's literally that hook. Like, I mean, I watched them at camp at times, and I thought, that's an eight win team. And then they played much better at the end of camp. And I'm like, okay, if they were in the NFC, I'd say they're a playoff team. Is this, they have to play Mahomes twice, they've got to play Herbert twice, they play Aaron Rodgers, and they play Josh Allen. I mean, who are you playing in the NFC? Dak Prescott and you know Jalen Hurts? Like, there's no All the great quarterbacks are in the AFC, so if Russ doesn't figure it out, that's why they're in trouble, because every Sunday you don't feel like your guy's better than the guy across the field. Last 30 seconds, it sounds like maybe the value for you would be on the uh, no to make the playoffs. Make the playoffs, Denver Broncos, minus... 210 on the no, so you got to pay a price. The yes, maybe that's the value. Plus 175 if you're at nine. Yeah, I hope I'm wrong. I just I don't see it right now because of the division they're in and the schedule. Their schedule is just tough. It's too many great quarterbacks they've got to play, and it's a couple of them on the road. I, I do believe they're going to be better. They're going to be in contention. And that last month, I mean, in an ideal world, that game against the Raiders determines the playoff for them. But they have not been able to stay relevant to the last two, three weeks of the season in years. They got to 7-7 seven and seven a couple of years ago, lost out. 
Uh, last year, it was just a complete tire fire. But anytime they've been good, even one year with Vance Joseph, they were 6-6. Six and six, They lost their final four games. They have never been in it the last month of the season since 2016. So it's just I can't give them the benefit of the doubt, although I really do like Sean Payton in terms of the way he coaches, the discipline, the consequences, the accountability. It's everything they need. I just don't think he has enough of his guys yet. I think it's going to take one more offseason. Troy, thank you so much. Really good preview. We appreciate it. You got it, guys. Take care. Have a great show. There he is. Longtime Denver media member, Troy Rank, host of Broncos Podcast with Troy Rank. All right, on the way back, we'll continue to get you ready for college football uh, week one with uh, dozens and dozens and dozens of games. And the Thursday night slate is very busy. A couple of good games coming up. Kickoff at 5 o'clock. That includes us priming you for Nebraska and Minnesota. Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. Rolling on here in the first hour. Fired up! Right? Fired up! We were talking about teamwork early, and uh, football and teamwork is going to be a big thing throughout the show today because, uh, man, you don't have it going on as a team. It's hard to win football games, right? Uh, you're not together. So I think Minnesota's together. I think the guys who were there want to be there with the captain sweater, right? PJ Fleck, mm-hmm. who did have some allegations lobbed his way that he runs kind of a toxic program, almost like a cult. So I don't know how he came through that. He seemed just fine. He made some comments. Uh, I'm sure he sanitized them. Eh, he probably didn't. Uh, last week we talked about the fact that he was at the Minnesota State Fair. Someone asked him, hey, fans are coming up to you. What are they saying? And it was just like all football stuff. And you wonder if any of them were like, are you going to win or are you going to run a cult? Right. Uh, but no one's going to have the stones to do that to the Division One football coach. In state. And then there's the other side of this matchup today. It's a 5 o'clock kick. Big Ten football, which, by the way, can you please punch up the injury report? I did. College football injury reports. Why is the Big Ten doing this? Because of Kirk Ferentz. The blame is at your feet, sir. Iowa betting scandal. Oh, you think that's why? I think it's part of it. I think that's the impetus behind this, and I think there's a lot of reasons why uh, the secretive nature of college football coaches is going to be extinguished in some conferences. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to know who's playing. It, it's fair two hours out. There's not going to be some scouting bonanza by the other team in the final two hours when they find out that your QB isn't playing. I, now, I've, I have a feeling they're still going to do Belichickian stuff. Of course they Like are. all coaches do where if they have an injured quarterback, they'll just suit him up. And then last five minutes, it's like, ah, yeah, he's not playing. We didn't know. It was a game-time decision. We didn't know until he warmed up 12 minutes before the game. Yeah, that's why these are doing nothing. I so I looked them up. Out questionable. If there's like, is if, that how it's designated? Out yep. and questionable. Yeah. So, so the questionable again, doesn't do much. Doesn't do anything. So they're so, just going to list anyone who really is. But well, they'll. I think there'll be a lot of out guys who are listed as questionable. Right. Like I like out means like you'll they're on the sidelines on a on a freaking scooter or you know a boot or their arms in a sling. So they might list some of them as questionable. To your point, they might tear off the cast. Last year, like the sh- the shenanigans, I will say lightly that we had to deal with, where you hit it. Like it was quarterbacks who were getting fully suited and booted and ready to go. Knowing that they weren't going to play, but coaches would put them out there in full pads and gear because they wanted to give the allure that this guy maybe could play today, and it's absolutely ridiculous. And actually, my colleague over at Visa and Stormy Bonatoni had a great anecdote when I was talking to her about it, where she was like, I was watching guys and like was asking, does he usually have his ankles taped? And he didn't, so we knew he wasn't going to play. You get no information at all. You have to do like this digging oh, about Stormy. everything. Yeah. Digging. He's going to get kicked off the sidelines. Right. People exactly. find it's out. Good. A lot um, of digging. 
But like this, like the injury reports do nothing. So, you know, going fast forward to whatever, let's say a Big Ten quarterback, you know, Drew Aller for Penn State, if he ever gets hurt, God forbid he does, they're just going to list him as questionable and it's going to do nothing for you because that's exactly what we think about some of these important guys. And then meanwhile, on the Nebraska side, there's a hope abound because they finally think they have a coach and I think he's a good coach. But Matt Rule is already dealing with Nebraska-like problems of the past. Now, again... We were all kind of age-shaming each other earlier. I was mentioning the last time Florida had played out of state, University of Florida, mm-hmm. against a Division One opponent. Again, not in Florida, a non-con game out of state. Non-con game out of state was 22 years ago. No, that's not right. That's not right. Am I doing the math incorrectly? 32 years ago. 1991, yeah. right? 2023 to 91? 32 years ago. Um for folks who followed college football a lot, um, you'll remember names going back even further than that in Larry Phillips, as I call him, Lawrence Phillips, who eventually was picked, I think, sixth by the Rams in the draft, and Christian Peter. Nebraska had a lot of problems. Towards the end there, uh, there was a win at all cost. And when things came you know, a little more public, uh, crimes were actually reported. They had a lot of problems at that school. And they just had a kid the other day. They're waiting on this kid, uh, what's his name, Eric Gilbert, who's a transfer in from, uh, well, is he in from Georgia or LSU? LSU, because then he tried to transfer to Georgia. But anyway, he was waiting on eligibility, and then he got popped the other day for, it looks like he broke into, what, like a smoke shop or something? He had yep. like 1600 bucks, and then paraphernalia worth like 650 Yep. And, uh, yeah, I don't think he's going to play. No. I don't think he's going to. I think the eligibility thing is a, the least of his issues now. So, poor Nebraska, the Husker fan, trying to win a football. And, you know, sometimes you roll the dice on guys because he did have, quote-unquote, problems at LSU. When you roll the dice on guys, they you know they can't keep it together, and he's not going to be playing football. Yeah, winning's all that matters. I, I trust Matt Rule will take Will Nebraska stay in this game, or can Minnesota boat race him? I mean, I have really no read on this because both of them are undergoing changes, right? Matt Rule's kind of coming in and trying to reset these rosters, and then Minnesota loses a lot. Quarterback Mo Ibrahim is a really good running back, so – I actually think the play is playing this thing over. Got to as low as 42.5. I think we're going to see a little bit more. It's easy to get to that number in college football. Boyer, host of Suit Up News, legal and cultural contributor, Xavier Pope, is live on Cofield and Company. All right, one of our favorite spots of the week. It's our favorite spot of the week, let's just say it. Xavier Pope in Chicago is with us. Xavier, what's going on, buddy? Hey, Steve. What's happening, buddy? Uh, We have so much to get to. There's so many good topics. So much of it is off of uh, Xavier's Twitter account because he's tweeting all the time as his following grows and grows and grows. His what account? His Z. Z. Yeah, okay, there we go. (laughs) I think most people are calling it an X anyway, so they're not even getting the Z right. Okay, so we've been going round and round, Xavier, on this uh, Ruby Alice dude, the Spanish Soccer Federation a uh, guy who uh, laid the big smacker, grabbed the lady's head. Uh, now there's a bunch of outrage. It's turned into sort of a generational argument. Um, I want you to listen to a bite here of a woman calling into a sports conversation show, a news conversation show in the U.K., and uh, maybe she should be speaking for all women. Listen to this. What's going on here? It was a quick little kiss. I think the women have got it all out of proportion, and even the men that are phoning you up, saying mm-hmm. I think it's terrible and what a great looking guy he is i thought it was going to be some old guy about 
17. He was a great looking guy and I'll tell you something, there's a lot of girls out there that I know would love him to give them a smacker on the lips. They want to be in a man's world, they want to play football. The world has gone absolutely mad. A guy like that and I'm thinking, well, if he'd have kissed me, I wish he'd have held on a bit longer. Okay. Xavier. Holy smokes. That, that's the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Uh, but there's one thing to remember. Think about it. There, there are people in marginalized groups that are okay upholding um, certain toxic behaviors of treatment of their marginalized group. Yeah. Um, to say the kiss should have been longer is disgusting. Uh, I, I think that people should have uh, something to say about that. Um, and I, if a guy said something like that, what would you think, Steve? No, nah, it's, it's crazy. Even longer? It, it, it's craziness. No, like you said, marginalized groups that have had to deal with sort of abusive behavior, and it's not sort of, it is, over-the-line behavior, have been just conditioned to accept it, and it doesn't mean that this generation's women have to think the same way, and they shouldn't. Uh, women haven't they, come all the way to the finish line yet. Yeah, and then also to say that you want to live in a man's world. Yeah, that, yeah, um, yeah that she, she, she just telegraphed the type of woman she is um, and to, to uphold patriarchy. Um, I, don't, I don't know how old she is, but it doesn't sound like she's from a younger generation. I could be wrong about that, but there, <laughs> there's definitely a generational gap between women who look at themselves as second tier to men and men can do whatever they want to them yep. and women who are able to empower and have agency over themselves. Uh, another crazy story that is developing, and we've seen it you know, over the last six months or a year, the PFL, one of the uh, fighting leagues, MMA League, is selling a stake to the Saudis. We've talked about this, that they're going to continue to spend their money to try to sports wash their image. But this is dangerous on so many levels because we're seeing stories today about uh, someone maybe being put to death because they were too active and too outspoken on social media, uh, and they're being put to death by potentially a... Uh, a Saudi money person. So explain this one. I mean, the dangers of not holding the Saudis accountable when it comes to human rights. Who's going to do it? The, 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 the Saudi investment funds are going to say, who's going to check me, boo? Right. Uh, and, and so until people care more about people's human rights than they are about money, Steve, this is going to continue. Well, I mean, the way to stop it is for especially uh, American businesses uh, and I don't know what the full ownership of the PFL is already. And by, by the way, Twitter is actually invested, is heavily invested in by the Saudis. But uh, stop doing business with them. Stop acting like this is okay to allow them to sports wash. It, who's gonna? But who's gonna do it? What? What? What American body is gonna stop capitalism? Right? Yeah. I mean, who, who's gonna keep this up? Um, we saw some stuff in the '80s with apartheid and divestment and all of that which is a big deal and definitely, definitely had an impact on, on, on South Africa. But where are you going to see with the Saudis? Huh? When we, we, it was different because we didn't need South Africa to trade with them, but the Saudis got oil. Um, and they are positioned in the Middle East, uh, which, are, which the United States makes sure interest in because you have uh, rogue states like Iraq, I mean Iran, right there. And so I, 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 and their relationship with some other countries as well, like, like Russia and China. And so it, it, it's a geopolitical situation where the United States has, has a vested interest to be friendly with a nation that has tons of human rights issues and flat out not being checked. And they know they can throw all the money around. Even the rumor about James Harden getting offered you know, all this money, hundreds of millions of dollars to leave, which, was, which has never been actually corroborated in any way, shape, or form because there's no actual lead to that effect. 
But the fact that people can go, can think that this is a possibility that maybe the NBA <laughs> could be the target in the NBA players, I mean, this is this is getting out of hand, right, Steve? So along those lines, Xavier, this is kind of what I've been curious about. You know, I don't really understand how they would go after, like, a league like the NBA, but sports like mixed martial arts, like we saw with golf, like tennis, where it's very individually driven, I could see this being somewhat dangerous for, like, a UFC, right? Hey, you underpay your fighters? Well, guess what? We're going to start a promotion, and we're going to pay every single one of those guys as much money as possible to have our own promotion out here in Saudi Arabia. Like, this is where they're the most dangerous, right? Absolutely, because then you, you, they don't have a way to collectively bargain in a way that, like, guys in the NBA and the NFL can. Um, but, I mean, we've seen strange things have happened um, in terms of picking various guys off. Uh, we haven't I – mean, there, there have been leagues that have tried to do their own thing, have tried to challenge North, Amer- um, North American team sports. But who says that it's off-limits, though? We, at, at some point, we've got the gambling in professional sports was off limits. So uh, Saudi's money is definitely more controversial than that. <laughs> Xavier Pope up on Cofield and Company, ESPN Las Vegas. He's in Chicago. He's an attorney. He's our cultural contributor. Uh, I saw you tweet about the Bears quarterback situation behind their main guy, right? Uh, why didn't they take a <laughs> shot with Trey Lance? I don't know. Uh, Nathan Peterman, though. Yep. I mean, that guy's stealing checks, man. <laughs> I, 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 everything I tell him here about Nathan Peterman is, is throwing interceptions, pick sixes, uh, and not being very good. I, I, I mean, that guy's better off. You're better off getting a guy selling Nathan hot dogs outside the stadium uh, than a guy like Nathan Peterman. Damon, why, why are you scoffing? What's don't going on? They, don't, they didn't need to take Trey Lance because my boy Justin Fields is going to be lights out this season. He's a running quarterback. Well, does Xavier, in jeopardy. They need a backup. Does Xavier know about our bet? Uh, What's the bet? Yeah, so our, my Demond and I have a bet that uh, we're going to grade it via overall grade from PFF. I have Jordan Love having a better season than Justin Fields. What exactly? <laughs> that, <laughs> is that bet's going to be lost. Jordan, we don't know what Jordan Love actually is going to do. We don't know how. I mean, the pieces that the, the Bears been able to put around uh, AJ Moore with Justin Fields—that's that, going to be a dangerous uh, combination. Justin Fields is only going to get better, learn more about running the position. I think the Bears are going to be a dangerous team this year, um, and I think they definitely they have definitely have a great shot of winning that division. Woo-hoo-hoo! All right, so Xavier's half in on the ten thousand dollar bet that Demond and I. It wasn't ten thousand. You know that it's one of many. <laughs> bets. Put my hat in the ring. Yeah, it's, one it. of, it's one of many bets. Um, another story out of Chicago. Uh, I I I don't know a lot about guns, but how does your fat shoot a gun? A lady, I guess, apparently snuck a gun into the White Sox game in the folds of her fat, and she wound up shooting herself in the leg. That is the strangest story I've ever heard. Uh, and the fact that you but fat can hold a gun and still get past a metal protector, I, metal detector. I don't I don't understand how she even got in the stadium. Uh, I don't know what type of fat she has, yeah. but maybe it should be studied by science uh, to to see. Um, how you can, uh, but why would you even put gun in your fat? Uh, and I, I, <laughs> I know <laughs> that's a that's a different type of holster, Steve. I feel like you were asking me. Um, so <laughs> I was asking you. Steve. I don't want to get I don't want to get racy, but the body can hold things if there's enough bulk on top of it. I actually. Uh, back, and we were just talking about women and, and making it to the finish line, and I'm going to objectify here, but, you know, the woman made the choice to do it herself. Um, I went to see a stripper dancer, uh, believe it or not, in New Jersey, back in uh, probably 91. Her name was Busty Hart. 
and she had enormous boobs, and part of her act was to actually put stuff under her boobs and walk around with it. So she could hold an iron under her boob. She could hold a two-liter bottle of soda. I think she may have done a bowling ball. So a gun is nothing. Yeah, I mean, uh, growing up, I mean, there are plenty of grandmas that would give you money out of their boobs. Okay, it's a yes. <laughs> it weighs nothing. It's not an iron. It's not a gun. <laughs> but not a gun. No. And definitely not an iron. <laughs> so I read a story. I don't know if this is true because I saw it on X. Uh, but apparently the, the process was that they wanded her and that it was going off, but they oh, really? didn't have the gumption to ask, can we check your fat? Yeah, the fat. And so they just let her through. I mean, how much do they pay these security guards, right? Right. You know, yeah. Who wants to be it's digging like that, in? It's like that one meme when yep. the guy's like, kind of like, not kind of like casually, like wild wanding yep. people, but yeah. not really yeah. checking them. That's what that happened was. Nightmare. <laughs> Nightmare. Um, very interesting. Uh, two days ago, there were people patting Doug Peterson on the back because he cut his son a tight end from the Jaguars. Well, lo and behold, the next day, he's on the practice squad. So uh, let's slow down with the, uh, oh, finally, someone's fighting back against nepotism. And that's what I tweeted on my timeline. I said, okay, this is one day, one, one day, guy. One day. Um, there are many different ways the guys appear on the team. Uh, and so, the, I mean, the practice squad isn't paying a bunch, but uh, it'll get you close to your dad. So There you go. There you go. Hey, it, it pays enough, man. I'll, I'll take the job. I'm not 6'5 and 243, so at least he has the size to be a tight end in the National Football League. Okay. I want to step up for... Uh, millennials, uh, John. Technically, you're a millennial because I know you defend them a lot, technically, right? Technically, yes. I okay, have, I, can, uh, I can't remember the age group, and you, you've been around like ten years. So I don't even know how old you are anymore. Um, Thirty-two. Check my bio. Taylor Swift's work ethic and the sort of economic might that she creates with her work ethic on these shows is incredible. Yeah, I mean, she's what a billion dollar she's made on all these different shows. Um, in the amount of hours that she puts in. Uh, and all the different things she does to, to, to put in her craft. I tweet. I actually shared a video on Instagram about how she's talked about just keep working and keep creating stuff. Yep. So she just seems to be one of the hardest workers in entertainment. And so I have a new appreciation for Taylor Swift, really putting 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 together these amazing productions, working as hard as she possibly can to be in the hours she's able to put in to put on these amazing shows around the world. I think we don't give enough credit to people like her and Beyonce. Because they do put on a great show. It's not just them coming on stage, just standing there and singing and collecting the dough. we got to close on this in about 30 seconds. I want your opinion. Is it Noah Lyles? Was that the uh, the American sprinter mm. who made the comment about uh, you know world champions? And then he went off on the NBA because he was saying, hey, this is a world championship when we do track and field internationally. I thought he was a little off going after the NBA. It is kind of an international league. Yeah, it's one of the most international leagues you got. I mean, with, you, know, you just saw with the NBA champions, guess who win it? The, the best guy on the team is a guy who's not from America, uh, Nikola Jokic. So, so I think that we, I mean, we just saw Dirk Nowitzki make the Hall of Fame, one of the, you know, one of the best players in his position ever. And so I, I think that it, also uh, Tony Parker from France. And so, so I think that it's, it's premature to say that, that NBA teams aren't world champions when they're be one of the most international leagues in professional sports. Great spot as always. We appreciate it. We'll catch up with you next Thursday. Have a good weekend. Love you guys. At Xavier Pope. No one? I think Devon's got to start jumping in on the love, love you here. too. Yeah, I mean, if you're I not mean, gonna, He already hung up, yeah, I think. Love we you gotta, more. I hope you heard it. There we go. There we go. Four o'clock hours on the way. Uh, Raiders spot, football insider, about 20 minutes Stanford route.